Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. And this is David Hepworth podcasting it on his own for once because nearly everybody else has flown away to faraway places with strange sounding names. So, But don't worry, they will be reporting in by what used to be uh, known in a past era as tape. Uh, we'll have Kate Mossman talking about the New Orleans Jazz and Blues Festival. Uh, Hugh Fullimore uh, talking about this July's upcoming um, Cornbury Festival. And Mark Ellen reporting on a strange personal encounter with uh, Jonathan Richmond in Shepherd's Bush. First, I'm delighted to say from the website wordmagazine.co.uk, we actually have a winner for our Matthew Ryan competition. You may remember that Matthew Ryan, the American singer-songwriter, offered uh, to write a song on a subject of a word reader's choosing in a style of a word reader's choosing. And the winner was John. I'm sorry, I haven't got John's second name here. And he nominated, terrific idea this, he nominated the song should be about a professional wrestling, wrestling manager who was agonising over telling his charge he'd been chosen to lose. And he wanted that done in the style of Hank Williams. And additionally, he suggested this, uh, John did, because he's a singer-songwriter in his spare time. And what he wants is an obscure cover that he can put into his set that, somehow relates to him so he can he can open it with uh, you know with the anecdote well <laughs> you wouldn't believe it but this this was actually written for me and then tell the story so that's a terrific idea so Matthew Ryan was very taken with many of the uh, the ideas for songs and I think he may actually work up more than one uh, which I hope you get to hear in uh, in due course there's a bit of a competition going on in the word in the word office so you can go to the 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 most exotically situated festival Fraser Lurie set the bar somewhat high last summer by going to a trumpet festival in the Balkans. Uh, Kate Mossman has been known to go to bluegrass festivals. Uh, but this, uh, she's reporting back now, I suppose, from her first visit uh, to the Crescent City, the New Orleans Jazz and Blues Festival, which uh, I suppose gives an, is an excuse at this point to play exactly 30 seconds and no more of Professor Longhair. <laughs>
Jazz and Heritage Festival in New Orleans. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was a uh, couple of years ago after Katrina. It, it sort of stopped for a while, and it's just the second year that it's started up again. And it makes the population, I think, quadruple. Um, and it's pretty important for the city at the moment, but it was really good. And it's two weekends, so you have um, you go for both weekends, and then you have a few days in the middle where you can get to do lots of things, like go to the swamps and stuff like that, which is what I did. But it was amazing people, like you know Stevie Wonder was there, and Al Green, and Jack White, and people like that. So very good. So it's in the open air, presumably. It's a, it's what is a big fairground or something like that. And so tell us who played and who did who did you like? I like Tower of Power. <laughs> they all eventually come back. Tara Prower from Oakland, California, the, the horn section. I don't know whether um, they've got the original frontman that they had back in the day, but he was just this brilliantly smooth soul guy. And the rest of them were doing this, um, you know, perfectly lined up with their saxophones and trumpets and stuff and doing this kind of choreographed shake act where they step back and they shake around and they step to the side and then to the right. And it was very, very funny, but they're just amazing. They completely had the audience in the palm of their hand. And it's kind of unexpected sometimes who was very good and who wasn't and Stevie Wonder was great but the first all he did he came on stage and he talked away for 20 minutes about um, you know being good to your neighbor and all this kind of thing and a bit of a sort of a, a moral chat and then he went to a, into a kind of really modern R&B type song so it was a bit strange he didn't just go straight in with the hits and stuff um, and so I was kind of surprised that Tower of Power floated my boat <laughs> so uh, Kate how old are you I'm 27 so how do you possibly know about Tower of Power? They, 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 were, they were applying their trade long before you were born. I think they've been around for 40 years, and I have to say, I'd never really heard of them until that gig. Or I, I knew the name, because it's such a silly name. Um, and I always thought it was a humorous name, but I didn't know who they were, so I've been converted now. So what was, the, what was the crowd like? What was the ambience like? Well, like all American festivals, there's much more of a mixture. There's not so much of a kind of an emphasis on youth and trendiness. Um, lots of families, lots of middle-aged people. They do festivals very well over there, so you know they have little clumps of toilets in groups of ten, and there's always enough toilet paper. Um, <laughs> so American hygiene in these issues is better than British? It's brilliant, because they, they know how to do it, because their climate's better, so they have a lot more festivals over the summer. And... Um, an awful lot of food stalls, and uh, everyone looked kind of the same because they all had the sunglasses and the shorts and the, the caps and stuff. Randy Newman was very good. Um, he, his irony didn't actually get through to some of the people who were a bit drunk in the audience, and they start to think he was serious when he was singing about rednecks. Um, you see, I think he is serious, you see. Yeah. Well, um, well, I think, you know, my, my, my point about Randy Newman is it's only like the ambivalence at the heart of Shakespeare's plays or, or, or a novel or whatever. We, we just, just don't believe that every sentiment that comes out of Randy Newman's mouth is his sentiment. Yeah, yeah, but he's, yeah. his attitude is, I think everybody deserves a song. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So he writes songs that come from the, you know, come from the mouths of child murderers yeah. or you know, all kinds of reprehensible people but he, he, does, it, he does it wholeheartedly you know, if, you, if you want the simple deal you're not going to get it from Randy Newman yeah. you're yeah. going to get life in all its strangeness and, you know, yeah. and its moral issues you know. and it really does sort of seem to sort of dance on the, on the line between being, um, being ironic and actually being something that maybe he does think and doesn't want to confess to and then when he sort of comes out with that you just well I think, you, you know, I suppose the song you're probably talking about is Rednecks, we were talking about this in the office, you know, which people may be aware of, you know, the first, first song on, on his record, Good Old Boys, which came out about 1972 or three or something like that. And I think the opening is, last night I saw Lester Maddox on a TV show with some smart-ass New York Jew 
the Jew laughed at Lester Maddox, and the audience laughed at Lester Maddox too. And so that's 1972 to 73. I don't think anybody dare write a song like that nowadays. No, not at all. And they're, and they're sort of, uh, um, I suppose he might have softened out a little bit. Do you think he's softened in the last couple of albums, or is he? Or is no, well, he... he's, he's always prepared to entertain the most, you know. He's, Randy Newman, I love Randy Newman, I adore Randy Newman, and if you ever get the chance to interview Randy Newman, take it, because he's one of the cleverest, most you know, amusing people you'll meet. Yeah. But, you know, his, his idea is that we all, as human beings, have unpleasant impulses, and those are what make us interesting. You know, our pretended virtue is not that interesting, you know, yeah. because it's a pretense. Yeah. It's, the, it's the thought that flashes through our mind that we don't dare bring to the front of the mind is what his song brings to the front of the mind, you know. And he's also prepared, as we were talking about in the office the other day, he's prepared to absolutely take the mickey out of himself because mm-hmm. that song about uh, getting married again. Yeah, that song about um, going to uh, the prep school of his, his youngest children, I think the older children and a couple of younger ones, with a, a new wife and seeing the, um, all the beautiful women who are taking their children to this prep school and all the husbands that look suspiciously like him, who are all kind of, you know, twice the woman's age and a bit ugly. It has this one line where it goes, um, full of men who look just like me, froggish men, unpleasant to see. <laughs> it's just a brilliant line. Froggish men, unpleasant to see. I love Randy Newman. He's got a new record, hasn't he? Yes, so, so who else was on? Um, let me see, an awful lot of Zydeco stuff, and I hadn't seen that much Zydeco before, and it became quite addictive, especially when you hear it live. I mean, if you put it on, little buckwheat or whatever, it kind of all sounds quite samey. Um, but, the, you know, the, the outfit with the rub board on the front of the chest, like the washboard, and the, the, guy, the black guy in the cowboy hat with the accordion and stuff. They're always wearing cowboy hats in New Orleans, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, even though there isn't a cow for thousands of miles. And I'm, I'm, I may be wrong about this, but uh, Zydeco is Cajun, and Cajun are white people rather than black people. So I just think it's fascinating that most of the Zydeco fans are black. And, um, I mean, they, they incorporate R&B and all sorts into it. It really works. Although it's really funny as well, because the lyrics are just, you know, they don't bother about the lyrics at all. And generally the lyrics go, Zydeco, boogaloo, <laughs> over and over again, with a big accordion break in between. So you just got a lot of repetition of the word Zydeco, and it seems to work. So they have some of the strangest, most arcane musical traditions in New Orleans. Mm. Did, did they have anybody dressed up as, uh, as Native Americans playing? They had the big chief who came on with um, Dr. John just before a massive storm broke. Maybe he brought the storm on, actually. It was in this beautiful um, eight-foot pink feather kind of attire, just his little head in the middle, just dancing around and doing normal blues stuff, not doing anything sort of particularly um, Mardi Gras style or anything like that. But you do just get so used to seeing all these different, um, uh, and hearing these different, you know, you're going past a crappy tourist shop, the equivalent of the ones down in, um, on Oxford Street, and you've got this side of co music pumping out. And I just, I love that. I bought a lot of buckwheat back with me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of America's party town, isn't it, really? I, I never quite know what to make of New Orleans. Clear, clearly it was massively influential many years ago. But you go to it now, and I'm never quite sure whether it's the real thing or it's like Blackpool. You know what I mean? It might be, particularly, I mean, uh, is it Bourbon or Bourbon? How's it pronounced? Bourbon Street. Bourbon Street, yeah. Um, I didn't actually dare ask anybody that because they would look so ignorant at the time. But, um, I mean, most of those shops are bars, and they're mostly empty. Um, and obviously during the jazz festival, they, they get people in in the evening, but you wonder day to day how the place actually keeps going. And also, every single shop has a sign in the window saying, help wanted. So there's just, I mean, the population halved after Katrina. 
and there aren't enough people to do the service jobs. So in terms of the day-to-day -day life of the place, it's a little bit strange at the moment. So there seems to be no industry or anything of that of nature. I mean, the, the only reason, apart from the tragedy of Katrina, that people talk about, talk about it uh, is uh, as a convention city, yeah. you know, the Republican or Democrat convention, and, uh, and the Super Bowl. Yeah, it, yeah. which takes thousands of people there and they, and they have a fantastic time and then they leave. Apparently like the, the biggest air-conditioned building in the world or something like that. It looks like a great big flying saucer. It's amazing. Well, that's the Astrodome, isn't it? Oh, that right, they okay. rather controversially used as a, as a shelter during the worst of the you know, yeah. terrible stories came out of the Astrodome, none of which proved to be true. I think that's, that's true to say. So where's your... Uh, did you, sorry, did you eat anything strange? Alligator sausage, anything of that I, kind? Um, I ate alligator. I ate a, a quail and pheasant gumbo at one point. Um, I ate a soft-shell crab in a sandwich with all the legs. Um, I mean, that was the highlight, really, <laughs> going up to the festival to eat every day. So there's the, the, a veggie wouldn't survive long in New Orleans, would not they? Really, not really, no. You could have a bit of rice, maybe, a bit of, uh, a bit of jambalaya, as long as it didn't have the spicy sausage in it. But, I mean, that was, that was the best thing. And lots of mango daiquiris everywhere as well. So. Very good. So where next? Where next? Um, I'm going to Mexico in October. Um, and then, but that's not for a music thing. And I was hoping maybe to try and go um, to Texas next summer because I haven't been to one of those proper redneck Stetson-wearing festivals yet. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. That's Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanigan from their album Sunday at Devil Dirt. There's a track uh, from that record on the Now Hear This CD that is on the current, uh, attached to the cover of the current issue of Word. which has got Tom York from Radiohead on that cover. And if you uh, want to take out a subscription to Word, you actually get a free copy of uh, that album Sunday at Devil Dirt uh, included in your subscription. This is the Word Magazine podcast, wordmagazine.co.uk. While we're in promotional mode, this uh, July, the first weekend in July, as ever, the Word team will be decamping to the sylvan surroundings of the Cornbury Festival in the Cotswolds, uh, just near Oxford. And we'd be delighted if you would join us. Uh, we've been involved in this for the last four years. Uh, and the man who puts together the Cornbury Festival is Hugh Fillimore, and he called in the office, and I wondered, seeing festival promotion seems to be an increasingly popular sport, what are the basic requirements if one wants to put together a festival? You've got to have a fantastic site. A beautiful place is the key, really. You've got to have some very patient, long-term investors, and you've got to have quite a good black book, really, is your kind of key opening gambits, really. So when you refer to the patients and the investors, that would indicate that they don't make their money back year one. No, I think they'll start seeing a bit of money back year seven, and then hopefully they'll be in the sort of pink period from about year ten onwards. 
So why does it not make money straight away? Because most people would look at it and say, well, you know, the, there's the sound of young Islington being chased by the local constabulary. Uh, that, that most people would say, well, you know, you fill a field, you get a field, you fill it with ticket-buying members of the public, and, and as long as you have enough of those, you ought to make a profit straight away. Well, at the moment, Cornbury's costing 1.7 million, so you need quite a lot of people um, to be buying tickets. You need sponsors and all that kind of stuff. I think there's two ways of doing it. Either you start a tiny festival like they did with truck and you ask your mates around and you build it year on year on year and you have no band that costs you more than a thousand pounds and it's a really long term endeavor. Or what we did with Cornbury is we thought we're quite old and we should really start fairly high up. So I think the first year we probably spent about half a million pounds setting it up and that's a lot of tickets to sell in the first year. Now, the site, as you say, is very important. Explain, you know, what's unusual and special about Cornbury. Well, it's an ancient park. It's not open to the public, so very few people have seen it. Um, huge amount of land. It's a beautiful deer park. It was the site of forests between 1750 and 1850. Um, and you camp on one side of the lakes. You walk across the Great Lakes uh, to the main site. There's bags and bags of room. I mean, space is really not a problem for us at all. We could have 100,000, but I think we'll probably stay at 20 as and when we get to 20. But we're, we're getting there. It has been referred to as posh dock. Is that, is that a title that you embrace or resist? Well, there was a moment, I think, when I, when I was going to over-embrace it, um, but I managed to restrain myself. Um, I think if it means smart and safe and middle class, I'm not ashamed of that. Um, it's, it's, it's aimed at a market, not quite the green welly barber-wearing mob, but, you know, there isn't necessarily a festival for them, so maybe we're catering for them. It's, it's really for all types, but if, it, if posh means that uh, you won't die of a terrible disease eating from the concessions and you will have uh, a basin to wash your hands in after you go to the loo and possibly a dryer and all that kind of stuff, then posh stock it is. The, the thing I always explain to people about Cornbury that makes it special is that it's one of the few places I've been where six-year-old girls wearing fairy wings can tear around the site all day long and, and come to no harm. Absolutely. I mean, um, obviously we have to do criminal records checks <laughs> on various people. Um, but, yeah, the local Shed Theatre um, have 50 local children who I think the first year were trees and elves and, uh, yes, have been fairies and all sorts of things. It is incredibly safe. I mean, people, friends of mine have brought children as young as two. And, um, you know, it's, everyone kind of makes way for children. It's, um, it's, it's rather lovely. The fact that it's safe, I'm, I'm hugely pleased by. So how do you go about putting together the bill for a festival like this? Well, you start in about October and you start making those sort of chatty calls with the agents. Um, anyone, any idea who's working next summer? If you've got particular artists in mind, you go to those agents and start building a bill from there. It's a kind of juggling game because when you're offered a particular artist that you quite want, but you're kind of maybe looking for something a bit better, there comes a moment at which you have to confirm that you're going to have them. And then it's a balancing act, really. Uh, the, the headliners are always the most difficult, always the slowest, and always the ones that hold you up. So... Um, I've done a good six months no smoking, but unfortunately I broke, thanks to Paul Simon. <laughs> so presumably the agents that represent these acts are doing terribly well out of this boom in summer entertainment, are they? Absolutely, and most of them are, are retiring or semi-retiring, so it's even more difficult to get the confirmed because they're normally in the Algarve. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the same guys run the business um, that, that were running the business when I joined about 30 years ago. So you have to be very careful to keep on, on side, really. Um, there's no point hassling them too much. You want to be the call they want to take. You need to, you know, be mates with their assistants and their PAs. You just generally need to be the call they want to take rather than the irritating Austrian promoter who's um, endlessly haggling about Iggy Pop's fee or whatever. So it's a seller's market, this, it's for agents. It, it's definitely a seller's market. Um, they're having a fantastic time. I think they're a little nervous um, in terms of money because there are far too many festivals and I think there'll be some casualties this summer. So uh, I, I think you're tending to pay more of the money up front than you used to. So who have you got this year, and how did you get them? Well, um, Crowded House uh, we were going to have last year, um, so that wasn't too difficult. Katie Tunstall we were excited about. Main headliner on Saturday is Paul Simon. That took probably about three months to land. Um, second stage, word stage, will be Nick Lowe that I'm thrilled about, and The Beat. Um, we've got some good kind of country crossover stuff with Bellowhead and Tift Merritt, who's a favourite of mine. Um, quite a good blues contingent with Eric Bibb and Joe Bonamassa, and then Toots and the Maytals that came, strangely enough, through my accountant, who, 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 used, to, who used to manage them or still does their tax returns or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're kind of pleased. We've got a really good cross-section of things, we think. So you have partnerships with us and with Oxford Folk Festival as well? Yeah, I love o Oxford Folk Festival. It's run by a wonderful man called Tim Healy, who I've now worked with for three years, and it only just occurred to me the other day that, of course, he's Dennis's son because he looks exactly, <laughs> exactly similar. He's an expert on old English music. He runs the Oxford Folk Festival, and we joined up with them three years ago to try and give a bit of diversity to the, to the lineup and to drag some folkies in, which, uh, which has worked, I think. So if you want to go to Cornbria and you want to really go club class or even first class, we, you were amusing me the other day with the ways in which you can do it. Absolutely. We have um, a very, very snazzy VIP tent, which costs a huge amount of money, where you've got your own restaurant, your own bar, tea and coffee. You can really spend the entire weekend just sitting in a comfy chair, really, if you want. And then we've got a super new VIP campsite that has this wonderful thing called Yurtel, which is... A spelled? How do we spell it? <laughs> Y-U-R-T-E-L. So it's a hotel, a, a collection of yurts um, forming a hotel. We've also got pod pads which are like sort of giant dog kennels, um, but, but rather comfortable. And then sort of bell tents and teepees and beach huts and, and all that kind of nonsense. Because I think, I think there is a demand for, for, for luxury, I'm afraid. You know, there, there's, there seems to be still a lot of money knocking around out there, mainly from our friends in the um, east of London. And, um, you know, they're happy to pay. So, but if previous years are anything to go by, the weather um, is very good. Well, it was only the first year we, we absolutely got poured on. Um, we had one sponsor that year who had sponsored the wet weather ponchos, which was fantastic, so we got rid of them. And I've got uh, 10,000 uh, wet weather ponchos in the uh, lockup, so we'll give them away if it rains. Walking round the room singing stormy weather At 57 Mount Pleasant Street
Crowded House, he'll be appearing at the Cornbury Festival alongside Paul Simon, Nick Lowe, Katie Tunstall and many others. Uh, first weekend in July, if you want to know more about um, that, you can go to the Cornbury website or you can find, uh, just go on the word website, wordmagazine.co.uk and we've got links there to how you can purchase tickets and so forth. Uh, one of the acts appearing... I would say at the bottom of the bill, but it's actually below the bottom of the bill, is uh, a group called the Love Trousers, whose bass player you may be familiar with, because it's Mark Ellen. Uh, If you listen to this podcast regularly, you may know that things happen to Mark Ellen that do not happen to normal citizens. Uh, I'm thinking of incidents in the past involving the likes of of Chrissy Hind, as a for instance. Anyway, he had one minor encounter just before he went away. He's currently away diving in the Maldives and writing about it for Diver magazine. And uh, this happened when he went to see Jonathan Richmond just a couple of nights before he went away. And he felt this was uh, this was important that this uh, this intelligence was actually um, communicated to the, to the word massive via the podcast. So uh, we spoke on the phone. On Friday night, I went to the Shepherdsbush Empire in, in West London and I had one of the most extraordinary and bizarre encounters with anybody I've ever had in my life. I'm preceded by this fantastic concert, which was Jonathan Richmond. And I've been a great admirer of his since about 77, and I'm sure a lot of people listening have too. And I'm fully aware that this is an extremely eccentric, bizarre, and unpredictable individual. So I'm ready for anything. I go with my eldest son, who's 24, who's also an enormous fan. And we're sitting up in the balcony waiting for him to come on. And on he comes. He looks incredibly well-preserved now. Uh, I don't know. I guess he must be mid to late 50s. Very, very thin, little goatee beard with his Spanish guitar and a drummer. That's all he has, just a guy playing the drums with uh, brushes. And... Um, couple of spotlights and not much talking straight into his extraordinary kind of um, Spanish flamenco guitar style with these beautiful guitar riffs. And uh, it's, it's a very, 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 um, very kind of narrow corridor of experience, just him telling his improvisational gags and, uh, you know, singing some of his songs in French and then Italian and stuff. And the big signs all around say, you know, sport bands on at 7.30, Jonathan Richmond is on at uh, 9, and the curfew is on at 11. And uh, it's on. Tom's an old joke of my, my son's that, uh, that uh, there's a band called Curfew was coming on at 11. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we're waiting for Curfew. So at 10 o'clock, he's been on stage, Jonathan, for, and his drummer, for, for one hour. He goes off stage in a manner that suggests he isn't coming back. Two roadies come out and start unwrapping all the gear and screw the microphones to pieces and put them in a box. And then he leaps out and they have to put them back together again. So obviously this wasn't a piece of stagecraft. He leaps out and plays one more song, um, which is a song called As My Mother Lay Lying, which is a brilliant uh, use of words in itself. And it's a song a day that I, I, I wouldn't normally consider would be right to end the set with. It's a song about the experience of watching, so laugh I'm telling you this, of watching his own mother expire in the bed of a nursing home. It ends with the idea of just the bones and her silver hair. You know, it, it's, it's not a toe-tapper, Dave. I'll so be straight it, with you. It, not, it's, it's not a floor filler. And then he plays this song and then he gives you that kind of strange, haunted look in a circuitous way that he kind of rolls his eyes around the venue and just say, I really am going there. And he goes. So it's been on for 65 minutes and we've got 55 minutes left before the venue closes. So anyway, my old pal and school pal and uh, neighbour Robin Hitchcock is is with us, and he um, has played with Jonathan on a couple of uh, bills in America. So he knows him, you know, to say hello. Managed to get a, a couple of passes, and uh, we're whisked backstage 
And we were met by the, the drummer, Tommy, who says, now, Jeff, I better, I better warn you, Jonathan does not speak after he's been on stage, which we all took to mean, he, you know, he whispers or he doesn't speak very much or, I don't know, he's probably just a bit of a quiet guy, so just in for five minutes, quick, quick handshake and out. So we're eventually admitted to this tiny little darkened room at the top of the Shepherd's Bush Empire, and in the pitch darkness, in the gloom, I can make out one sole person, one sole inhabitant of this room, who is the goateed Jonathan Richmond, who's hunched in the corner, um, writing a, mu- a musical score with a pencil. He's got a very complicated uh, block of, uh, of staves and, and notes in front of him, and he is writing, he's actually writing music. So we come in, and I sort of go, Jonathan, a fantastic show. Um, I just, I understand you don't speak after you've performed. And he leaps up, quite friendly. He leaps up, and he takes his book to the only light in the room, which is the light bulbs around the, the dressing room mirror. And he turns the pages of this spiral-bound notebook till he finds a blank sheet of paper. And he writes down, I injured my vocal cords two years ago, and my do- doctor advised me not to speak. So I said, you know, I asked him why he made life so difficult for himself by playing a Spanish guitar without a strap. And he wrote down, it's more fun that way. Oh. Exclamation mark. <laughs> so it was really weird. So can you imagine how extraordinary this is? Six of us in this room, and I'm the only one communicating with him, but he's only communicating by writing. Yeah. So I tell him that the show was fantastic, and, um, you know, it was so good that my son and I didn't mind he didn't play Lydia our great favourite, he just shrugged his shoulders in a kind of I-have-no-voice-left sort of way. Then I congratulated him on playing a song in English, uh, as I said earlier, which he then repeated by singing the entire thing in French and then playing two verses in Italian. So I said, well, yeah, jokingly, I said, oh, we, we thought you were going to work your way through all of Northern Europe, maybe German next, and he pulled this disgusted face, utter horror. And uh, at this point, I was aware two other people have arrived there, producers from the Robert Elms show, who very luckily had him actually performing that afternoon on the London radio program. And uh, I'm just aware of what extraordinary scene it is. So to try and lighten the, the atmosphere a bit, I told myself I was like in a scene from a Marx Brothers movie. And uh, he gave me a kind of cheery, slightly Harpo-style kind of um, you know, theatrical thumbs up. And that was it. And, and, and we left, you know, we walked down the stairs and no one could really speak to we got out because we couldn't believe that this had happened. And we walked off down to the pub and I told them a story that you once told me about when you were a plugger for Berserkly Records, Jonathan's label in whatever it was, 76, 77. And where was the record label? It was in South London, wasn't it? Kingston. Kingston, Kingston, right. And I can remember, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is what happened, that you'd rung up, or somebody rung up Jonathan and said, look, tell us what flight you're on, we'll send a, a somebody over in a car to pick you up. He said, no, 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 no I'll, I'll, I'll make my way there. And unless I'm entirely mistaken, he walked all the way from Heathrow Airport on his own to Kingston carrying a rucksack and a guitar, an acoustic guitar and a battered old case. Am I right? He walked all the way. I don't think he had all the equipment. So the equipment was picked up and basically he he didn't so much walk as run. He he ran. The interesting thing about Jonathan is it's like they say, you know, in gymnasts in the Olympics or whatever. Yeah. they, They mark you on not just how good you are, but also the degree of difficulty. And Jonathan sets himself a degree of difficulty in everything he does. So, you know, the classic memory from those days, 96, 76, 77, is he'd had a hit record with Roadrunner. That's right. Kind of power pop punk classic, you know, electric rock and roll band. He comes over to play, you know, he plays at Manchester Free Trade Hall. And uh, and I remember standing at the back of the place because he, he took the stage with barely any amplification at all. 
didn't even sing through the PA. And and uh, and people were just leaving in disgust because they couldn't believe that anybody would make life so hard for themselves. Yeah. Basically, his idea was, if you will, if you will tolerate that, you will absolutely love this experience. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to come to you. You've got to come to me. And yeah, I, I do. Well, that was exactly the same uh, last night. Really, thirty years on. I'm sorry, someone's just started mowing a lawn outside my house. You'll probably hear him in a minute. It's a lawnmower. Very chizzic. Very chizzic weekend. Is that never the cleft the gardener, that is? It? <laughs> is that yeah, Scro- throw a few florins. Is Scrotum the wrinkled retainer? Scrotum the wrinkled retainer, yes. Carry on, old boy. After you've done that, go and shoot a few ptarmigan. <laughs> drain the lake. Well, a welfare gal and a drunk galoot, and nobody wearing a three-piece suit. You meet folks this way, just don't see what's flying. So, you take the plane, but I'll take the bus this time. Well, a welfare gal and a drunken cuss, and Pepsi cans rolling around the bus, and newspapers and grit. And you've got slime So, you take the plane, but I'll take the bus this time This podcast was brought to you by The Word Details at wordmagazine.co.uk deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.